Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The nation of Hungary in Central Europe has a population today of nearly 10 million. Its people have a language and culture very separate from that of their Slavic and Germanic neighbours as a result of their distinct history. Today I tell a small part of that story. Welcome to A History of Europe, Key Battles, the Battle of Lechfield between the Saxons and Hungarians. In an earlier podcast on the Battle of Tours, I talked about the Franks. One of the many Germanic tribes who settled in the declining Roman Empire, they merged with the local population of the province of Gaul and established a kingdom over the approximate area of modern-day France. In the year 732, the Frankish king Charles Martel fought back an Arab incursion in the Battle of Tours and so secured his southern border. His son and successor, Pepin the Short, consolidated Frankish control over France and surrounding territories. And Francia reached its apogee under Pepin's son, Charlemagne, or Charles the Great, who is considered the most powerful of all early medieval kings. Over many years of military campaigns, Charlemagne expanded Frankish authority considerably. First, he defeated the Lombard Kingdom in northern Italy, as well as the Bavarians, who were a Germanic tribe to the east. He also went on to acquire territory from the Slavs in the east, in the areas of Bohemia, Macedonia, Moravia, Austria and Croatia. Charlemagne's rule, together with the growing assertiveness of the Catholic Church, spurred the so-called Carolingian Renaissance, a period of great cultural and intellectual activity. It is a period for which historians talk about the birth of Western Christendom, since from that time on, Western Europeans had the confidence to define their own institutions and culture on their own terms. From now, they would become rivals to the East Roman Byzantine Empire, culturally as much as militarily. Catholic West and Orthodox East were both nominally part of the same religion, but ideologically and politically they drifted further and further apart over the following centuries. Charlemagne recognised the Pope in order to legitimise his expanding empire and actively protected the Church in order to add to his own authority. The Pope, in return, recognised Charlemagne as to some extent the secular extension of the religious power of the Church, the first leader with the title of Holy Roman Emperor. Charlemagne claimed to be successor to the emperors of ancient Rome and was recognised by the Church as such, 
and so created a new source of sovereignty and authority by reviving the idea of imperial rule. Although Charlemagne's immediate successes were less successful and lost much of the territory gained, the new Latin Christendom sense of identity persisted. For the next centuries, its influence spread in all directions, if not under one ruler, then under this idea. The spiritual leader of this new identity was the Pope. The church hierarchy from the Pope down to local bishops usually worked in close cooperation with the Christian rulers, although conflict would occasionally break out over who had ultimate authority. Charlemagne managed to convert a number of fellow Germanic tribes to Christianity, with a mixture of diplomacy and violence. One of these tribes, the Saxons, soon after went on to become one of Christianity's fiercest adherents. The Frankish campaign of subduing their Saxon neighbours took decades of warfare. There were repeated periods of peace and rebellion, which each time had to be quelled. The Saxons had a proud pagan heritage, which would not be overcome easily. The word Saxon is believed to derive either from the word Saiax, which was a type of knife that they used to use, or the word Sasses, meaning a settler. The first undisputed mention of the term Saxon as a people was from the year 356, when the Emperor Julian described them in a speech as allies of a rival emperor in Gaul. At this time they lived somewhere around the region of the Elbe River. During and after the disintegration of the Western Roman Empire, the Saxons were one of the many peoples involved in mass migrations across Europe. While some travelled to Britain, as described on an earlier podcast on the Battle of Brunanburh, others stayed on the continent, seeking new areas to settle in the south across the Rhine. Here they came into conflict with the Franks. In the 600s, the Franks received annual tributes from the Saxons, who served as a useful buffer against the Slavs to the east and Danes and other Germanic tribes to the north. But as Frankish power grew in the 700s, they moved to tighten control over their neighbours. It took Charlemagne more than 30 years, from 773 to 804, to force the Saxons to announce their old religious customs and to accept both Frankish supremacy and with it the Christian faith. To convince others of the merits of the religion, he was not averse to violence. According to Charlemagne's law, pagans who refused to be baptised were sentenced to death. Charlemagne did his best to create a large unified kingdom, but this conflicted with the traditional Frankish custom of dividing a king's land between all his sons on his death. In 840, upon the death of Charlemagne's son and successor, named Louis the Pious, the empire was divided up between his three sons. They were supposed to cooperate, but instead fought each other for supremacy, in a fight which had considerable influence on the shape of Europe today. The western third was to become today's France, and the eastern part, Germany. These two kingdoms sandwiched a central third one called Lotharingia, a slice down from the Netherlands across Bavaria and the Alps to the River Rhone and northern Italy. 
the most competent of Charlemagne's three grandsons was Louis the German, who inherited eastern Francia. Despite having to put down frequent uprisings, Louis governed well enough and survived long enough to help form a relatively more stable kingdom than either of his two brothers. The historian William Stubbs compared this to the situation in western Francia, where authority fragmented to a much greater extent. He believed this is an important reason why in the early Middle Ages Germany enjoyed much greater unity than its western neighbour, France. Throughout the 800s in both East and West Francia, land was split up between sons whenever a king died, ending up with a complex network of small competing kingdoms. Compare this with the contemporary kingdom of Wessex, which stayed strong by the custom of passing on the entire kingdom to the eldest son on a king's death. The Carolingian Empire, i.e. that of Charlemagne's dynasty, happened to be briefly reunited in 884, due to a series of early deaths, but only very briefly. The empire quickly fell apart again, never to be restored or at least not in its entirety. In the 10th century, the Saxons reunited German territories in the region of the old East Frankish Kingdom. They claimed themselves as the successors of Charlemagne, and therefore also ancient Rome. The land they controlled comprised not only the greater part of Germany, but also northern Italy. This political entity is what is regarded by German historians as the first of their three empires, or Reichs, the third being Hitler's Third Reich. However, it is important to realise this was in the time before the idea existed of anything like today's Germany. Tenth-century Germans probably recognised that all Germanic peoples, including the Scandinavians and Anglo-Saxons, were akin, but there was certainly nothing like the German nation we know today. This First Reich consisted of five subkingdoms, or duchies. The western part was Lotharingia, which owed its existence to the splitting up of lands to Charlemagne's grandsons, as described earlier. Its memory is kept alive today as the French province of Lorraine. The other four subkingdoms, namely Swabia, Saxony, Franconia, and Bavaria, were based on historical tribal identities. The Swabians, otherwise known as Alemanni, as well as the Saxons and Franks, were well known to writers in Imperial Rome, while the Bavarians are known to have existed since the 6th century. The year of the birth of a united Germany can arguably be given as 911. In this year died Louis the Child, the last of the direct descendants of Charlemagne in East Francia. The German tribes, instead of transferring their allegiance to the king of the West Franks, elected the king of their own, who was not of Carolingian dynasty. The man chosen was the Duke of Franconia, Conrad I. The reason why the German tribes required an overall leader is that they needed to unite against a new and growing threat to the East namely the Hungarians. For the first years of the 900s, they had been raiding Frankish territories and terrorising the local population. 
they were heathen and destroyed everything that lay in their path. Conrad's task was to deal with this new foe. In contemporary sources, the Hungarians are usually called the Magyars, and this is how the people of Hungary today still call themselves. Their origins lie in the east, perhaps around the Ural Mountains, and one of several people who over the years migrated westwards into Europe. Linguistically, their closest relations in Europe today are the Estonians and Finns. In the mid-9th century, they had settled in part of today's Ukraine, but were defeated in a battle against Bulgarians in 894 or 895, and headed further on to Central Europe. They ended up in a region called the Carpathian Basin, where they seemed to find themselves most at home, the terrain being similar to the steppes they had come from in Central Asia. The Carpathian Basin is a large lowland plain, surrounded by the Carpathian Mountains to the east and north, and Balkans to the south, and the Alps to the west. Today the area is occupied by Hungary, plus small parts of Slovakia, Romania and Serbia. In the 560s it was controlled by a Turkic people called the Avars. They were defeated by Charlemagne in the 790s and disappeared from history. Their place was soon taken by a Slav kingdom called Moravia. Like their Slavic neighbours in Serbia and Croatia, Moravia fought the Frankish Empire on and off in the 9th century. Although the kingdom's borders cannot exactly be determined, it is thought to have reached its high point in the 870s to 890s, when it comprised today's Czech Republic, plus parts of Slovakia, Hungary and Poland. At this time, Moravia was the most powerful eastern neighbour of the Germanic realm. However, at the turn of the century, it was suffering internal conflict at the very time of arrival of the Hungarians. Between 902 and 907, Moravia collapsed and was completely overrun by the Hungarian warriors. For these Magyars, as for their Asian semi-nomadic predecessors, the Huns and the Avars, contact with the more sophisticated sedentary societies to the south and west led to greater social cohesiveness and in consequence a more formidable military organisation. According to a contemporary chronicle of the Byzantine Emperor Constantine VII, the supreme commander of the Hungarian conquests in Europe was a man called Arapad. However, different sources conflict sharply as to his exact role, time of accession to power and also his death, so we cannot be sure of many fairly basic details. Anyhow, he founded a dynasty which led Hungary into the medieval ages and is still regarded by many Hungarians today as the founder of their country. The Magyars were fierce warriors whose military consisted principally of mounted archers. In the first year of the 10th century, they raided ever further westwards and southwards in search of further plunder. On the 4th of July, 907, they won a major victory against the army of Bavaria at the Battle of Pressburg, and so extended their control into the East Frankish Kingdom. 
for the next decades, the raiding was a major threat to Italy as well as the Frankish kingdoms, in some ways comparable to the Vikings in northwestern Europe. Next year it was the turn of Saxony and Swabia the year after, and in 910 they inflicted defeat on the army of Louis the Child near Augsburg. All major Frankish duchies had suffered at the hands of the Magyars, and further raids could be expected. By 911, as I said earlier, King Louis the Child, the last direct ancestor of Charlemagne, had died, and a new leader, Conrad I, had been elected to deal with the problem. Unfortunately, Conrad was unable to stop the attacks. He also failed to uphold the power of the kingship against the German dukes, who were frequently trying to assert their own authority. On his deathbed in 918, Conrad nominated the Duke of Saxony as his successor, who is remembered in history as Henry Fowler. Conrad, it seems, recognised that Henry was the man most capable of leading a defence against the Hungarians. He was designated king by the duchies of Franconia and Saxony, but still had to fight the other three duchies to enforce his supremacy there. After a brief lull, large-scale Hungarian invasions recommenced in 924. Henry would only be able to maintain authority if he fulfilled his royal function of defending the kingdom. In the beginning, though, he needed to devote himself entirely to the defence of his own duchy of Saxony, leaving the rest of the kingdom to fend for itself. However, the chance capture of a Magyar leader enabled him to obtain a nine-year truce, in return for paying them an annual tribute. Henry used this time both to develop new fortified settlements and to rebuild his army. He still seemed to regard his duties as King of Saxony to be more important than his role of leader of all Germans. When, for example, Swabia was being devastated by the Hungarians in 928, he did not go to its rescue. He was busy capturing Brandenburg from the Slavs so as to strengthen the defensive position on his own eastern frontier. When the Magyars resumed their attacks in 933, Henry was better prepared and was able to inflict a major defeat on them at the Battle of Unstrut. This victory, combined with the further successes against the Danes the next year, gave him great prestige. Because of this, when Henry died in 936, although the throne was not hereditary, his son was elected to succeed him. His name has come down in history as Otto I, the Great. Next year I will talk about Otto and the war he waged against the Hungarians, in particular in the decisive battle of Lechfeld. Thank you for listening to A History of Europe, Key Battles. I hope you can join me next time for the Battle of Leckfield, part two of two. Until then. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. 
The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.